الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week we spoke about the childhood of the Prophet وسلم, and the years that he spent with his uncle Abu Talib and we spoke about the expedition of Abu Talib towards Asham, towards the greater Syria area and how Muhammad وسلم, as a 12 year old boy accompanied him on part of that journey but he did not complete the journey and we spoke about that story last week about the encounter that they had with the Christian monk Buhaira and how Buhaira saw the signs of prophethood on the Prophet Muhammad even though he was a young boy he was only 12 years old at the time and then Buhaira advised Abu Talib not to allow Muhammad to accompany the rest of the caravan to Asham because he said there are Jews in that place who will see this boy and they will recognize him just as I recognized him and they will know that he is the one whom was prophesied in the previous scriptures and the previous revelations but once they realize that he is not from Bani Israel once they realize that he is not from the progeny of Yaqub rather he is from Bani Ismail from the progeny of Ismail they will be jealous and they will kill him so don't take him to Asham send him back to Mecca so he was sent back to Mecca so this happened when he was around 12 years old so he lived in Mecca he continued to live there with his uncle and he grew up in a very honorable way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him even in his childhood from any type of bad behavior Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not allow Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam even to witness any type of bad behavior and he grew up with the best character and the best morals and he he grew up with complete honesty and complete truthfulness and complete sincerity so he combined all the good characteristics that a person could have even in his childhood so when he grew up to be a little bit older he was about 20 years old young man and a very important event took place in Mecca a great event take, took place in Mecca when the Prophet وسلم, was about 20 years old and this event is known as Harb al-Fijar Harb al-Fijar and the reason why it was called Harb al-Fijar we'll get to the reasoning behind that in a minute inshallah the word al-Fijar it comes from al-Fujur and Fujur means to do something evil to do something that is wrong so this is where this war got its name from Harb al-Fijar and who is the one who did something wrong who started this war we'll get into that in a minute inshallah so basically this war it was between a tribe called Hawazin which was a tribe from outside of Mecca 
and between the Quraysh and the Quraysh of course were from inside Mecca so this war was between Hawazin and Quraysh now we know that there are four months that are considered the sacred months those are the months of Rajab Dhul Qa'da Dhul Hijjah and Muharram these are Al-Ashhurul Hurum the sacred months and they were made sacred by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he created the heavens and the earth before the creation of mankind when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the heavens and the earth he made these four months sacred Rajab Dhul Qa'da Dhul Hijjah and Muharram so what does it mean these months are sacred it means it is not permissible to start fighting to start a war during these four months but if someone starts a war with you then you are allowed of course to defend yourself so the Quraysh they respected this and remember the Quraysh originally the Arabs beforehand they were on the religion of Ibrahim السلام, but as we spoke about earlier Amr ibn Luhay he brought idol worship back into the Arabian Peninsula so the Quraysh they were idol worshippers but they had still some remnants of the religion of Ibrahim السلام, still with them even though their Tawheed was not there they used to worship idols they still had some pieces of the religion of Ibrahim السلام, with them that you, they used to observe for example Hajj Hajj still used to take place and also Al-Ashhur Al-Hurum these four sacred months were still considered sacred by the Quraysh so they would not even think about starting any fighting or starting any war at this time they considered it something that was impermissible and they considered it something that was out of the question they would never even think of starting a war at that time it was such to the extent that if somebody had murdered another person's father somebody had murdered another person's father and then they went into hiding and when the Ashhurul Hurum came, when the, these four sacred months came, if this man who murdered another person's father, if he came out of hiding and the son of the murdered person saw the murderer of his father, he would not even touch him. Because, oh no, we can't do it. This, these are the four holy months. We cannot do anything in this time. So they respected it to that extent that they would not even touch the murderer of their own father if they happened to see him during this time. But the tribe of Hawazin, they decided that they would take advantage of the Quraysh's respect for these sacred months. They thought to themselves, look, the Quraysh during these four months, they're never even going to think about starting a fight. And they would not expect anyone else from the Arabs to fight them as well. They think that we all think like them. Because they consider it sacred, they probably assume that all of the other Arabs, they will consider it sacred as well and they will respect that as well. So the Hawazin, they decided to take advantage of this. <coughs> so they attacked the Quraysh during Al-Ashhur Al-Hurum, during the sacred months. And the Quraysh, they were not expecting this. It came totally out of the blue. It came to them as a surprise attack. So they were attacked. And that is why it is called Harb Al-Fijar. As we said, Al-Fijar, it comes from Fujur, 
meaning to commit an act of evil. And who is the one who committed the act of evil? Al-Hawazin, the tribe of Hawazin for starting an act of aggression, starting a war during the sacred months. This is an act of fujur. This is an act of evil. And that is why these wars became known as Harb al-Fijar. And it happened in the history of the Arabs five times. There were five instances of Harb al-Fijar. And one of them happened during the time that the Prophet ﷺ was about 20 years old. So this is still about 20 years before he receives the first revelation. He's a young man. So Hawazin, they attack Quraysh. And of course, Quraysh, they are defending themselves. So the Prophet ﷺ witnessed this battle with his own eyes and he participated with the Quraysh to some extent. He didn't actually fight. He didn't actually fight, but he would, he would give the arrows to his uncles. The uncles of the Prophet ﷺ, they were fighting. And the Prophet ﷺ was right there in the middle of the battlefield. And he would give the arrows to his uncles for his uncles to shoot. So this was the extent of the participation of the Prophet ﷺ in the defense of the Quraysh in Harbul Fijar. So as we mentioned before, everything that happened in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, it happened for some wisdom that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed. And it was preparing him for something that would happen in the future. Like the fact that the Prophet ﷺ grew up as an orphan. He was an orphan, right? This prepared him later on in his life to show love and compassion to the orphans because he knew exactly what it's like to be an orphan. The Prophet ﷺ grew up in poverty. He lived a life of poverty from his childhood so that he would understand what the people who are poor are going through and he could deal with them on that type of a basis. So every incident that happened in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, it was a form of tarbiyah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. It was a form of upbringing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused the Prophet ﷺ to go through so that he would be able to handle every situation with any type of person in the most perfect way. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is preparing him. And battle is one of the things, of course, that the Prophet ﷺ, later on in his life, he would be the commander of the military of the Muslims. And he would be very successful in that role as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from the young age of Muhammad ﷺ, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing him how these things work. So even though in Harb al-Fijar, the Prophet ﷺ didn't participate in terms of actually fighting, but he was right there in the middle of what was happening. He was giving the arrows to his uncles who were fighting. So he got a first-hand experience of what it's like to be in a battle and what it's like to be in the middle of a war and how it works. So this was a, an important event that took place in Mecca when the Prophet ﷺ was about 20 years old. Also around this time, another great event happened in Mecca. And this again was during the young adult life of the Prophet ﷺ. Before his marriage to Khadija anha. So he was in around his 20s, early 20s. 
This event that happened in Mecca is known as Hilf al-Fudul. Hilf al-Fudul. And what is the background of Hilf al-Fudul? There was a Yemeni man who came for Hajj. And the people when they would come for Hajj, they would come for the pilgrimage of course, but they would also use this as an opportunity to do business in Mecca as well. And there's nothing wrong with this. A person who goes for Hajj and he finds an opportunity to do some business as well, he does some business as well. So this is what many of the people who would come to Mecca for Hajj, if they had some opportunity to do trade, they would do that. So a Yemeni man, poor Yemeni man, you know, a small time businessman. He came for Hajj and while he was there, he decided to do some, some business. So he had some goods with him and he sold them to a VIP of the Quraysh, a leader from the leaders of Mecca, whose name was Al-As ibn Wa'il. Al-As ibn Wa'il. Al-As ibn Wa'il, he was considered a very important person in the Quraysh and he was wealthy and he was powerful. So this Yemeni man, he sold his goods to Al-As ibn Wa'il. And Al-As ibn Wa'il told him, okay, I'll pay you for it tomorrow. Come back tomorrow and I'll pay you for it. So the Yemeni man said, okay, no problem. And he came back the next day. And then Al-As said to him again, yeah, yeah, come back later. I'm not going to pay you right now. So the poor man said, okay. And this kept going on for a long, long time. He kept asking for his payment and Al-As kept telling him to come back later, come back later, come back later. Even though Al-As was a very rich man and this Yemeni man, he was not rich at all and he needed this money. So this went on for a long time. He kept telling him, come back, come back, come back. Until one day, finally, Al-As got sick of this Yemeni man coming to him all the time and he said, forget about it. I'm not going to pay you anything. Just leave, get out of my face. And Al-As, out of his arrogance, he thought that what is anyone going to do to me? I'm this big VIP of the Quraysh. I'm from the leaders of Mecca. This Yemeni guy, he's insignificant. He's a nobody. He's a poor guy. Nobody's going to stand up for him. And nobody can do anything to me. What if I don't pay him his money? What's going to happen? So he told the Yemeni man to leave him alone. And he said, you don't have, I'm not going to give you anything. Just forget it. So this Yemeni man now, he's very upset and he needs this money. So he thinks, what should I do? So he decides to go to Darun Nadwa. Do we remember Darun Nadwa? Darun Nadwa was the meeting hall that was built by Qusay ibn Kilab many years earlier. And it was the place where all of the important people of the Quraysh used to gather and discuss important affairs. So they would always be there discussing different matters that were pertinent to their community and making decisions. That was their place where they used to do these things. So the Yemeni man, he decided, okay, if I go to Darun Nadwa, then I will find, you know, these big important leaders of the Quraysh there and I will complain to them and see what they do about it. So he went to Darun Nadwa and he explained to those leaders of the Quraysh that were gathered there the incident that happened to him. 
with Al-As ibn Wa'il. He told them, I sold him my goods. We agreed to a price. He told me to come back. He didn't give it to me. He kept delaying it. And finally he said, no, I'm not going to give you anything. And then the Yemeni man said to these people of the Quraysh, if I don't get my right from this man, I will go around all of the Arab tribes and I will tell them that the Quraysh are dishonest in their business. They oppress the people who want to trade with them. They don't give the people their rights. I will go around and I will destroy your reputation. I will destroy the reputation of the Quraysh if you don't get my right back from this man. So when they heard this, they actually got scared because the Quraysh living there in Mecca, where do they get their income? All of their income is just from business, from trade. They don't have any agriculture there in Mecca. They don't have any manufacturing in Mecca, nothing. All of their income, it was through trade. So if their reputation was destroyed in this type of a way, that they're cheaters and they're deceivers, and they take the money of the people. If this happens to their reputation, then they will definitely lose out. And they, their source of income would be destroyed. So they got scared. So three of them stood up. And the name of all three of these people who stood up, they all had the same name, the same first name, Al-Fadl. So three people, all of them named Al-Fadl, Al-Fadl, Al-Fadl. They stood up and they said, they made an oath that we will fight whoever tries to oppress another. Whoever takes the right of another person, we will fight him to the death. We will fight him. If he returns the right of that person to the person who deserves it, then it's okay. If he doesn't return it, then we will fight until either he is killed or we are killed. So these three men named Al-Fadl, they took this oath. And that is how the name Hilf Al-Fudul came. The Hilf of Fudul. Fudul is the plural of Al-Fadl. And then they invited the other people, others to come and join them. Take this oath with us. So many of the people, they came and they took that oath of allegiance with them. That yes, we will fight not only for the rights of this Yemeni man, from Al-As ibn Wa'il, but anyone, if any zulm, if any oppression happens to anyone, then we will not let that stand. No matter who the oppressor is, he could be the most powerful of the people, we don't care. If he has oppressed someone and taken the right of someone, we will fight him. No matter who he is, and no matter how insignificant or low in status the person who is being oppressed is, it doesn't matter how poor he is. It doesn't matter how low his status is. We don't care. If he is being wronged, if he is being oppressed, we will get his right back for him. So this was a very honorable oath that they took. And many of the people, they took allegiance with that oath as well. And the Prophet ﷺ, Muhammad ﷺ, young man, he also took this oath. And he said later on, he said, Du'itu ila hilfin fil jahiliya. Law du'itu ilayhi fil islami la ajabtu. He said, I was called to be part of an oath in the times of jahiliya that even if I were to be called to the same type of oath in Islam, I would answer it, I would accept it. So it was an honorable oath. 
And the Prophet ﷺ was part of that oath as well. Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving him this beautiful tarbiyah. Being part of such a beautiful oath that shows honor and that shows that you will fight for the rights of those who are weak. For Muhammad ﷺ being part of this from his young age, this is from the upbringing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused him to have. Fighting for the rights of the downtrodden, of the poor, of the oppressed. And this was the way of the Prophet ﷺ throughout his life. He would not stand for injustice. He would make sure that he fights for the rights of others, whether they were Muslims or even non-Muslims. No non-Muslim would ever be wronged in front of Muhammad ﷺ. He would fight for the rights of everyone and he would not allow anyone to be oppressed. So the Prophet ﷺ witnessed and he was part of Half al-Fudul as well. So when they took this oath, these people in Darul Nadwa and many people joined them, they went straight to the house of Al-As ibn Wa'il. They went straight to his house with their swords taken out. And they took this Yemeni guy with them. Said, We're going to get your right back for you. Don't worry. Come with us. So a bunch of them, all these big people from the Quraysh with their swords in their hands to the house of Al-As Al ibn Wa'il. They knock his door. He opens the door and look at the sight. All of these guys with swords and the Yemeni poor guy is with them. And they say to Al-As, you will return the right of this man or you will be killed right now. Your choice. Return it to him or die. So he was surprised. You're saying you're going to kill me? Do you know who I am? I am this big leader from the leaders of Mecca. You will kill me for not giving the money to this poor Yemeni guy? Who is he? And they said, we have made an oath that we will fight for the rights of those who are wronged and oppressed. And if you don't do as we are saying, then all you have is the sword. So when he saw how serious they were, that they weren't kidding around, he got scared and he actually returned the money of that Yemeni man to him. This was Hilf al-Fudul. Very honorable oath that these people took. And when Islam came, this oath was not cancelled. It remained throughout the time of Islam. It remained throughout the time of the Sahaba, through the time of the Khulafa al-Rashidin, al-Husayn radiallahu anhu. Once he was oppressed by one of the rulers in Medina <coughs> and he wanted to get his right back from that man. His name was Al-Walid. And Al-Walid would not give the right of Al-Husayn to him. So Al-Husayn said to him, he said to Al-Walid, either you will give me back my right or I will call out with the oath, with, with Hilf al-Fudul. I will call out with Hilf al-Fudul. And Abdullah ibn Zubair, he heard this. The great Sahabi Abdullah ibn Zubair. 
and he said wallahi i swear by allah if he calls out with half al-fudul then i will take out my sword and i will fight with my sword until his right is returned to him or i am killed fighting for his right so this half al-fudul beautiful oath that they took yes it was made in the time of Jahiliyyah, but it lasted throughout the time of Islam and it lasted through the time of the Sahaba and the Khulafa al-Rashidid and it lasted all the way into Ad-Dawla al-Umawiyyah because of the principles that it was based upon and the principles that it was based upon they were consistent with the principles of Islam and that is why it remained throughout Islam so the Prophet ﷺ, he was part of this and he witnessed this. And again, this is from the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused him to be raised so that he would be ready for his role as the messenger of Allah when that time was to come. Now, when the Prophet ﷺ turned 25, so he's still a young man, 25 years old. Then a very great event happened in his life. And you know that it was 25 years old when he married Khadija bint Khuwaylid radiallahu anha. So what is the background of the marriage of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to Khadija? Khadija radiallahu anha, she was a very honorable woman. And she was from the Quraysh as well. And she was very, very, very rich. Not just rich, but very, very, very rich. And she was also from the Quraysh. She was from the lineage of Abdul Uzza ibn Qusay ibn Kilab. The Prophet ﷺ, his lineage traces back to Abd Manaf ibn Qusay ibn Kilab. And Khadija, she traces back to Abdul Uzza ibn Qusay ibn Kilab. So they were both from the Quraysh, both from a very honorable background and lineage. And Khadija radiallahu anha, she was very honorable and respected amongst the people and she was very, very rich. It, it was said that her wealth was equivalent to the wealth of the rest of the Quraysh. If you took the rest of the Quraysh and you added all the wealth that they had, it was equivalent to the wealth that Khadija radiallahu anha had herself. So that's how rich she was. But still, even though she was so rich, she was of the, of the utmost honor and respect and she had the best character. Now Khadija radiallahu anha, she had been married before and her husband died. And then she married again and her second husband also died. So she was widowed twice. She was widowed twice. And she used to do business but as a woman she could not take these business trips that the that the businessmen would take you know going from Mecca to Asham and going to Yemen and going to these places to do trade as a woman she couldn't do this type of a thing because there were a lot of dangers on the ways right there were these highway robbers and there were there were criminals and these type of things so it was not suitable for a woman to go and do business by herself so what Khadija radiallahu anha would do to keep doing business is that she would hire some <coughs> she would hire some of the men of Mecca to go and do business on her behalf to make these trips to do this travel 
with her goods and sell it and do business on her behalf. And then she would give them either a fixed sum that they had agreed upon or she would give them some percentage of the profits. So this is the way that she would do business. So not all of these men who were doing business on her behalf, not all of them were trustworthy. You know, some of them were dishonest. Some of them, you know, didn't do the business in the right way. And she knew that. She knew that, you know, there are some people who are maybe more trustworthy, some people who are less trustworthy. So she wanted to find someone who she could trust 100%, who would be 100% sincere and trustworthy to do business on her behalf. Someone she could trust without having any question. And of course, the reputation of Muhammad was there. He was known as As-Sadiq Al-Ameen. He was known as the truthful one, the trustworthy one. He was known as someone who never lied, someone who never cheated, someone who never deceived others, someone who never even spoke in a bad way. He never even spoke with vulgar or obscene words. So he had the perfect character and nobody could say anything bad about him. Everything about him was good. And he was known for this. So Khadija radiallahu anha, she knew about this as well. So she called for him and she spoke to him and she told him that I would like you to do business on my behalf. And he agreed. He said, okay, I will do it for you. So he set out to do business with the wealth of Khadija radiallahu anha to Asham, the greater Syria area. That is where they used to go to do a lot of business, the people of Mecca. So Khadija radiallahu anha, she sent her slave, his name was Maysara. She sent him to accompany Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam on this journey. Because Maysara had made this trip many times before and he knew the way very well and he knew the people in Sham, the businessmen in Sham very well. So he could introduce Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam to these people because this was his first trip that he was taking. So Khadija radiallahu anha decided to send Maysara to accompany Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So they start their, their journey. And Maysara is amazed from the beginning at the akhlaq, the character, the beautiful manners of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He is so humble. He is from such a lineage. He is from the lineage of the leaders of the Quraysh. Yet still, he would sit with this slave, sit with Maysara and eat with him and talk with him. You know, not make Maysara feel inferior to him. And this was something that he, the slave Maysara found very strange because usually people who are powerful or who come from a respectable family, they don't deal with slaves like this. You know, they will make sure that the slave knows his place. But Muhammad was different. He would sit with him, talk with him, eat with him. So he noticed this. Another thing that he noticed was on their way to Asham, they were always under the shade of a cloud. Just like the first time when the Prophet ﷺ, when he was 12 years old and he went with his uncle Abu Talib, a cloud was covering them. So this, the heat of the sun would not harm them. The same thing happened again. So Maysara and Muhammad ﷺ, they're on the way and a cloud is following them the whole way. While they were on their way, 
they passed by that same monastery that they had passed by years earlier that we spoke about last week. But by this time, the head monk of that monastery, Buhaira, he had passed away. He was not alive anymore. And there was a new monk who was in charge of that monastery. And he witnessed Maysara and Muhammad وسلم, coming in this small caravan. And he noticed, just like Buhaira had noticed years earlier, he noticed the cloud following them as well. So they took a, a stop to rest in that area nearby the monastery. And Muhammad told Maysara, you stay here with the caravan. I'm just going to go off a little bit. So he went off a little bit off the path and he found a tree and he rested under that tree. Muhammad he rested under that tree. And this monk from the monastery, he's noticing all of this. He's watching it. So he runs to Maysara. And he said, I noticed something very, very amazing with your caravan. And then Maysara said, what is it? He said, I noticed that a cloud was covering you as you were coming along. And then Maysara said, yeah, I noticed that too. That's strange, huh? And then the monk said, and I noticed something else too. The man that you are with, he went and he's resting under that tree. Now Maysara was confused here. He didn't think this is anything special. So what? Okay, he went and he's resting under that tree. What's the big deal about that? And then this Christian monk says, in our revelation, in our scriptures, that tree, nobody would sit and rest under that tree except a prophet. So now Maysara is amazed. He was like, wow, really? He said, yes, this is something special. So now throughout the rest of their journey up to Asham and in Sham, Maysara, the slave of Khadija, is keeping a very close focus on everything that Muhammad does. Because now that he has this information, he wants to keep a close eye on everything that he's doing. And he notices there in Asham the beautiful manners and the honesty of the Prophet He also notices that he's very good in what he's doing. That he's very good in this trade, in this business. He's excellent and he's honest and he's kind and he's compassionate. If he's dealing with someone who is poor, he still makes sure that he deals with them in a beautiful way. He doesn't take advantage of anyone even when it's easy to do so. He makes sure that everything is done with complete honesty. So Maysara is noticing all of these characteristics, the beautiful way that the Prophet ﷺ is dealing with everyone. And another thing that shows the smart business sense that the Prophet ﷺ had is that he sold Khadija's goods in Asham. And then he bought goods from Sham to go back and sell in Mecca. And this was not the way that the Quraysh used to do business. Rather, they would take the goods from Mecca and they would go sell it in Sham and come back to Mecca with the Prophets. But Muhammad ﷺ he did that, but then he also bought goods from Sham. And when he came back to Mecca, he sold all of that in Mecca as well. So he made the profits twice. He made profit in Asham and then he made profit in Mecca as well. So Maysara is noticing all of these things and saying, hey, that's actually a very smart thing to do. No one used to do that before. So when 
He comes back to Khadija radiallahu anha. He gives her all of the profits that he made. And it is the most profit that she ever made from any of these trips with the other people. Those other people that she would send to do business on, on her behalf, maybe they wouldn't even come with 10% of what he came back with. So she was amazed. It was much more than what she expected. So she saw that this is something amazing and there is so much barakah and blessing in the work of this man. And then Maysara also told her everything about what he saw accompanying him on this trip. He told her about his humility, his kindness, his compassion, his honesty, the way that he deals with poor people, the way that he deals with weak people, everything is 100% perfect. This is the perfect man. So Khadija radiallahu anha was very impressed with this. And her heart grew attached to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And she was interested in marrying him. She was interested to marry him. He had everything, right? He had this character, he had honesty, he had sincerity, and it was proven to her by this. So she wanted to marry him, but she was not sure how it could be arranged. Because like we mentioned before, she was 40 years old, and she was married and widowed twice before. And Muhammad وسلم, was 25 years old, and he had never been married before. So there was that. So she spoke to a woman named Nafisa to go to Muhammad وسلم, and just get an idea if he would be interested in marrying her. So she sent this woman, Nafisa, to speak on her behalf to Muhammad وسلم, to get an idea if he would be interested in marrying her. So Nafisa, she went to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and she asked him, Ya Muhammad, why don't you get married? He was 25 years old at this time and the habit of the Arabs at that time is that they would get married early. You know, they would get married maybe 16 or 17 years old. But he was 25 years old and he hadn't gotten married yet. So she asked him, why don't you get married? Why haven't you gotten married? And he said, because I'm not, I, I, I don't have wealth. As we mentioned, the Prophet sallallahu was poor. So he said, because I don't, I'm not wealthy, I don't have money. How can I get married? And then she said to him, what if there is someone that you can marry who is beautiful and she's from a great lineage and she's honorable and she's trustworthy and she's also very rich. Would you be interested in marrying her? If she wants to marry you, would you be interested in marrying her? And he said, who are you talking about? And then she said, Khadija bint Khuwailid. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, Khadija, she would want to marry me. The reason why he was surprised was because Khadija had received many, many proposals from people. She was beautiful and she was from a respectable lineage and she was rich. She had everything going for her. So even though she was widowed twice, after that she still was receiving many, many proposals from different men. And she was refusing all of them. She was refusing everyone. So Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa was surprised when Nafisa suggested this. 
She said, he said, Khadija, Khadija would, would want to marry me? And then Nafisa said, don't worry about it. I will set everything up. I will set everything up. And she did set it up and they did get married and it turned out to be the most successful, most beautiful marriage. And inshallah, next week we will talk more about the marriage of Muhammad وسلم, to Khadija and their children and their family life. Wallahu alam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allah ilahe